0: We're live. It is Wednesday, September 1st, 2021, 5.02 p.m. It is the 11th anniversary of the founding of Lawfare. Woo! Uh, it is
1: You've had the... all kinds of anniversaries. Yeah. Tammy, Lawfare, this, I interrupted you, but that's a big week for you
0: you know i not that the 11th anniversary of lawfare is <laughs> 29 deal but it is the it is the three 364 days before the first anniversary of the final withdrawal from Afghanistan um, uh, I'm gonna skip at the uh, the uh, John McWhorter profanity uh, 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 grammar point today because it so irritated
1: Kate yesterday Um <laughs> And it, it wasn't um, irritating. I just was pointing out I had nothing to do with it and neither did yeah, anyone else. It was
2: as as we say as we say in law school, it was a process point. Not yes a, it
1: was a, exactly. <laughs> yes, it was a
0: process point God. meaning please don't do this again <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> um, it was substantive due process <laughs> see what i did there scott
1: uh, I did, I did, uh, right? yeah i um, thinking about as correctly as the supreme court these days <laughs> yeah. so
0: those of you who voted that i would be whoa the one without the dog yeah. shirt today get a special gold star those of you who voted that Pete Strzok would show up, not in a dog shirt, not in ragtag uh, you know, bullshit garb, but in formal wear, get a special gold star. There are only four of the former and six of the latter. And I haven't identified anyone who got two gold stars today. We are not allowed to have fun anymore. The Delta variant is raging across the country. Ron DeSantis may be our next president, uh-huh. but we are allowed to have Pete Strzok here <laughs> to begin plotting the coup against the next uh, 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 horrible too, people.
3: <laughs> too soon.
4: <laughs>
3: too, too, maybe not soon enough. Uh, too soon, but not soon enough. I don't know what the right answer
0: is there to that. Uh, Pete, gonna... welcome back. You're You Thank are you. among the top vote-getters of the... Bring them the fuck back uh, for the 500th anniversary, uh, 500th episode celebration. We are in part three of the uh, of our 500th episode. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself?
3: Well, I'm thrilled to be here, Ben. It was uh, appreciate the votes from the uh, academy, and consequently, my speech is ready to give. But uh, it's good to be here, and I'm glad that. It doesn't seem like that long, and I'm impressed that I. When we were first talking, when you started, I remember I think telling you there's no way you make it past eight or nine months,
0: and yet here we are, a year and a half and later. As I'm, long as there is COVID, there will be a little I, of fun. I'm
3: ready for fun, Ben. I'm ready You're for right. fun. This is like fun. I'm
0: ready for fun too. It, the fun ain't up to me.
1: I just want to say that like when this all started 500 episodes ago, as long as there was COVID, it did not seem like that was out that we defined this. Because like, is that is it ever, it's like small, it's here to stay forever. Like kind of like smallpox into like a small radical bunch of people in like outside of LA, like mommy communities decide to stop getting the smallpox and measles vaccines or something like that.
2: No. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's right. I mean, I think the Today Show started um, because of the common cold, and they haven't been able to.
0: That's right. Uh,
2: finish, <laughs> yeah, kind of finish it.
0: You know, and and Col- Colbert started because of Lyme disease.
1: Can I actually ask a question? Wait. <laughs> no, by the friend. way,
2: <laughs>
0: that, I, I'm not sure if that's a lie or
2: not. Total lie. Okay, it was a good (laughs) lie. Just made it up as I went (laughs) along. You know, I was I
0: I, I started the sentence and a talk show came out and I continued the sentence and a communicable disease came out.
2: I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, Kate.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, you taught without a mask today, but and I've been working at this co-working space without a mask, and I just got back from there. There is this guy who like works thirty feet from me and it's like, there's not too many people in the room and it's well ventilated and I could put on a mask and stuff, but who's like 30 feet away from me and is just like sneezing and like sniffling oh. really congestedly oh. all day while sitting and working at his computer. And I don't, this I do This is I mean,
0: what a slingshot is for. <laughs>
1: like, I'm not a passive aggressive person. I don't wanna go and like say something. Like I'll just go up to him and say something, but like, do you go up to them and say something? And also like I don't I I mean it's allergy season so like should I assume that of course it's allergies cuz no one would be so horrible as to be sick and be coming in like I don't, I don't know so people have people have proven to be slightly horrible <laughs> so I would be I cautious know.
2: Kate still has her faith in humanity.
1: <laughs> That's totally horrible, but, but there stuff. How you couldn't even complete that sentence without laughing. <laughs>
2: um, I, 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 by the way, I mean, uh, I, I noticed by the, uh, on the plane because I just took plane how few people were coughing and sneezing, and I sneezed once
1: um,
2: <laughs> on the way out there, and I felt like, I felt like I, you know
1: the Eye of Sauron turned towards you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean so,
2: so I think that's really bad, Kate. That I never do. sneeze,
0: okay. just as a matter of principle. But I do have a kind of asthmatic cough. I've
1: heard that, you sneeze.
0: No, you've never heard me sneeze. I don't Really? Sneeze.
1: Okay. No, of course
0: how, not. How do you do that as a matter of principle? It's not a matter. I'm joking. Oh. Okay. I sneeze as much as anybody else or as little as anybody else. I'm roll, Ben. I,
2: between I have this a, and you're Colbert, it's going kind of to be so, like. You yeah, know, I, you're lying so well today. <laughs>
0: yes, I have a kind of chronic asthmatic cough and sometimes you know i'm sitting in a public place coughing and i'm like trying to project the no this isn't a COVID cough this is an asthmatic cough that long predates covid shut the fuck up and look somewhere else because you know i'm this is just how i am i cough sometimes and uh and people don't seem to understand the telepathic communication of
1: that do you remember when john bordeaux got you the fully vaxxed hat you need to have one that says like you can Like, put it, like, you can, like, kind of rotate it around your head in very, like, it says four sayings, and one of them is, like, it's just allergies. And then on the other (laughs) side, it's like,
0: oh, that is such a good product. Four directional. uh,
1: And you can just, and one of them
0: should be communicable and directed at you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I mean,
0: could one, what?
1: That's this, Ben.
2: (laughs) One, could one panel say yes i know that guac is extra and i consent to pay for it (laughs) (laughs) i I, I, I have to say i just that drives me nuts what if we had a hat that you
0: could control the message with your iphone
1: oh like an electronic like a word yeah you type into your
0: iphone what the hat is going to say and it just goes across it um so usually it would say we're not allowed to have fun anymore, but in lieu of fun, um, but sometimes it would say communicable and directed at you. And
1: sometimes it would say, I really the, want a t-shirt guac, that says that with guac. my little finger.
0: <laughs> I know the guac is, is extra. Like, it could really you walk start. into
1: like a faculty meeting with like, I know the guac is extra. <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> your
4: Sign a
3: release, put it on file with the restaurant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Pete,
1: when you were at
0: the FBI Academy, um, did you ever imagine yourself on a show having this kind of highbrow conversation? No. This never. is why you were doing it. Because yeah. someday, you know you'd get fired from the FBI and you'd become a celebrity and you'd be able to hang out with people in dog shirts
3: from my house because of a pandemic and right yeah no, <laughs> with a martini this, none of this <laughs> <laughs> joking about whether or not it's too early or too late to begin the you know the response to the desantis administration in 2024 no no never okay or, just check it. because
0: yeah, if you had planned the whole thing um mm, that would be really impressive that would be good career yeah planning.
3: No, never. And that was the odd thing. I mean, there's there there are people and I don't know if it's true in every profession, there are occasional agents who would sit there and you would talk to them, whether you're two of their career or you're twenty, and they would have everything planned out. You know, I am going to or I did this to this to this to this to this, and I just I don't understand how anybody progresses through life with such certainty. And part of that is you, you need to be willing to take jobs or do things that aren't ideal because you've got to have some sort of sense of guarantee that you're going to be able to do it so you know if i'm going to get you know it's some esoteric or very hard to get job you can't plan on getting that or not but if you're shooting for the median you can plan with some level of certainty and it always surprised me that people you know in 25 years i'm going to be x and sure enough they were x and well
0: i only knew two people in my early life who knew exactly what they wanted to be in life one was my Mad crush in ninth grade, Susan Kay, who I will keep her last name out of it for reasons of her own dignity and mine. <laughs> um, uh, and Susan Kay um, uh, uh, knew in ninth grade, this is going to sound super weird, especially to the law professors and students. On, she knew that she wanted to be a patent lawyer and study law at James Madison University which uh, was a place that I had
1: never heard of
0: uh, in ninth grade.
1: Those um, are attainable things. They are.
3: <laughs> uh, yes. Was, to my point about the median, not, you know. That's what I
0: would the odd thing about. And I feel this. badly
3: already because I don't mean to denigrate in any implication or, or other way. Um, so, so, Susan, so, Susan? Susan? No, K. Susan
0: Kay, the closest, she, she's never, I think she wouldn't, like, she, She's. I'm sure she's driven by James Madison University. Um, uh, driven by
3: in a car. Driven by sense of <laughs> no, no, no. Driven by. She is,
0: she is a, a homemaker somewhere in Georgia. Uh, she wouldn't know a patent if she tripped over one on the street. How do you
3: know she's a homemaker in Georgia, Ben?
0: That's what huh. Facebook is good for. Um, so uh, interesting. And, and then yeah. the other one, which is contrast in this, who I will name because it's such a super cool story. Is Leonora Neville. Uh, and Leonora, uh, I met. I love when her name. Was a, her. She was a, yes. fr- she was a freshman uh, at Yale, where she was the roommate yeah. of uh, a very, very close friend of mine. And Leonora, who looks like a, uh, a, a Wagnerian uh, heroine, you know, sort of Brunhilde kind of look going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, told me the first time we ever met when she was 17 or 18 that she wanted to be a Byzantine historian uh, and do her dissertation about the Crusades. And Leonora Neville is currently a professor of Byzantine history at the University of Wisconsin. We should She's have written her on. a number of books about the Crusades. and um, you, have, you have a
3: strong both Yale and Wisconsin yes, you really nexus do. on this show.
0: Well, well the Yale thing neck, is most. We haven't. Have, we should have Leonora on the show. We should. should. Have that's
3: Leonora. like a fascinating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah.
0: Most yeah, people, I right think, in. are a little bit more like Susan K than they who know exactly what they want to do in life. Are a It's more really like funny K. that you have
1: used these examples because I had this best friend. My best friend growing up, like for, ended up being for. I don't know. She was like for twenty years, and now we've kind of lost touch, but we're still. Anyways, we were sitting next to each other in sixth grade in like the first week of sixth grade. And there was some like weird, like, like standardized exam that they were having us take that was like about what we wanted to do with our careers and everything. And <clears throat> at one point, um, the question was like, when you graduate from college, which is more important for you to do? Um, you know, get a job or get married. And I was like, well, like, obviously get a job because how am I going to eat if I haven't, like, if I can't, like, meet people and, like, I haven't eaten anything for, like, for, you know. And Rachel, my best friend, and this is that how we met, like, this is kind of telling that I would pick someone to be my best friend. Like, she put, like, get married. And she did. She got married before she graduated from Cornell. She met her she like actually got married to her seventh grade. He was first my seventh grade boyfriend and then he was her seventh grade boyfriend. But she married him. Like they got married and that's like they have five kids. They run a daycare center. That's
3: that's actually high drama in seventh grade. I'm surprised that you stayed in touch with each other after that switch from her or you to her. She he was your boyfriend first, yes.
1: Yeah. Robbie Johnson. (laughs) <laughs> seventh seventh
3: grade romance is a traumatic he big deal.
1: That oh was, my god. Yeah. yeah. That's like and then
3: she that's like she stole the boy as a father. That's a, Yeah.
1: I remember I have this I told this story at their wedding when she was twenty one and he was 20 and we were like, I couldn't believe they were getting married and I thought it was, everyone kind of thought it was a little bit nuts, including their parents. And so um, you
3: son of a bitch, just ten years no, ago you were no, holding I, my I, hand. No, no, I would no remember, not that. Because yeah, that, that would be a great wedding <laughs> speech. <yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I remember being on like the 7th grade trip, you know how you would go on like a music trip? It was like mm-hmm. the 7th grade music trip, like with chorus or whatever, and we were like, you know, going to Montreal, and I remember her sitting on the edge of the bed in the hotel room they were sharing with like three other girls, and her just like crying that she couldn't just marry Robbie right now in seventh grade. Oh wow! And that she wanted to like, and uh, that she like didn't know how she was going to be able to wait that long. And it was just like it's just kind of a it's just like a crazy like I don't know I just I like I love that story. I'm so just her. Yeah, sorry, sorry, she's, and she just... they're both brilliant people. They're really smart. Oh, so like,
2: they ended up marrying each other.
1: Yeah, yeah, they married each other. Wow. And it's still everything
2: going great, great, happy.
1: They're really great. I visited them. That's
3: amazing. That's like one of those reassess
1: every. I interviewed Hmm. it like I had a job talk when I was on the entry level market in like in one of the town in the town that they live in because they live in like a college town and i hadn't seen them in 15 years it was like no time had passed at all we had dinner their kids were completely insane and running all over the house and i was just like this is great like i don't know they were that was really fun so anyway wow. i want to ask everyone what did you guys all want to be when you were younger like or like the youngest you can remember saying i want to do this when i grow up That's scott a wanted question. to be
0: an inclusive legal positivist oh, no. and that was the that was the thing that really you know, his failure in that regard is really yeah, one of the things that's yeah, defined I'm, him.
2: Yeah, that—that that explains my anger, towards right. him. <laughs> I, I, I am—I'm dying to hear what Pete wanted to be.
3: I—the first I think I remember is wanting to do. I loved airplanes, everything about aviation, the idea of being an engineer, and working in designing something aerospace related was like that first sense of like this is neat and I would like you know to pursue this to do it and obviously ended up radically 180 degrees off of that um, so
2: do, do, do you do it do you do uh, did you um, do you do like uh, model planes, like, as a hobby?
3: Yeah, all of that, like, model planes, model rockets, all the stuff that, you know, you sit there and you build. No, but
2: it. now. No, but I mean now. Oh, um, oh some.
3: It, 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 not not recently, but yeah, no, there was a there was a time where I did, you know, had, like, remote control airplanes and building them out of balsa wood and, you know, putting the little plastic over the airfoils to make it, you know, in the remote control systems and putting in all the servos. So I did that, and then it just gets that, you hit that point where between family kids job that any sort of outside hobby becomes you know time prohibitive in a certain sense and so that kind of went by the wayside and who knows at, you, at some point i may pick that back up but uh, but
0: you also grew up kind of all over the world right you yeah. were you were born in iran
3: no born here born, born here. But here yeah but no so my father was in the military and then uh we did we moved all over the place spent he had one tour in iran in 73 and 74 um, he retired in '78 when and did uh, development work in the, and so we were in Africa. We were in Haiti. Uh, he went back. We went back to Iran, '78, '79, when he was working for Bell Helicopter. But we moved a lot, so there was a lot of just very
2: transient feel to uh, the whole experience. So your dad, so your dad did work in designing um, flying machines. Then
3: he did. I mean, he was an engineer, so some of it was. He had worked in Iran with the army, and you know, kind of working with them and you know their armed forces, as in the U.S. Army, and then retiring after that, going back and working for Bell Helicopter because there was a lot of, you know, just all everything that we had sold to the Iranian government at the time, and and the, that support, that interaction, he had pursued, um, you know, post army, and figured you know that was not what motivated him, not what he found a passion in, and so he went back at his degree at uh, University of Minnesota in public policy, went into development work and, you know, spent the the balance of his second career, if you will, kind of doing doing that sort of work. So that was, he found very fulfilling. And it was interesting, but, you know, again, to Ben's point, it was very, it varied. We moved, you know, probably, I don't know that I lived anywhere for more than 18 months before I went to college. So there was a lot of moving around.
0: And how did you end up? So, you you were in the army for a while, Mm -hmm. and then you ended up in the bureau. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: What was the what was the trajectory that took you from army to college to bureau? Like, what was the basic career trajectory? Um, So
3: yeah no it's not and if you're exciting. not allowed to tell us just make it up <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah or make it up like yes it was yeah colbert and the in the line i've bench. watched <laughs> got me into i've the watched thing.
0: the bureau you know i know you can just kind of create a legend on the spot if you need yeah.
3: no so i went I, I was went to georgetown on an RTC scholarship so that was great and that it paid for georgetown and it was great that it provided a job immediately after graduation and so you know went out Got through Georgetown, went to the 101st Airborne with the Army, spent four years there, which was a service commitment that for the four years of the scholarship, you have four years active duty. Enjoyed it, would absolutely do the Army again, ten times out of ten, but also, you know, was not, as you know, spending a couple of years, probably the second year said, okay, this is not what I want to do for a career, you know, it's very fulfilling. It's absolutely something that I would never experience in terms of, exposure to work and people that were not something that I otherwise would have. And so the value was extraordinary, but at the same time, it wasn't something I wanted to spend a career doing. And left um, in 1995, left the Army. They had just, Timmy McVeigh and and, uh, Terry Nichols had bombed Oklahoma City. Um, That trial was still underway or getting ready to go, and Congress looking sort of doing oversight of the FBI said, hey, look, this caught you a little bit unawares. You need to improve your intelligence capability. You need to enhance your analytic base. And so we're going to give you a bunch of money to hire 60 analysts. And so I was mm-hmm. sitting in a condo in Boston reading the Washington Post, and there's a little ad saying, you know, the FBI is hiring analysts to do counterterrorism. And I thought, no, that sounds really interesting. So I applied, was accepted. Um, the 60 of us, 30 went to work international terrorism, 30 went to work domestic terrorism, which I did. Uh, Realized very quickly that the FBI was, at that time, still is a little bit, but at that time was really, really an agent-centric organization. And knew that being an agent was, just seemed to be fascinating and extraordinary. So applied and was accepted, went down to Quantico in 98. And
0: there I spent 20 years. Wow. And I know what every member of the audience is thinking right now at least everyone who knows that you worked on the illegals case the illegals case being the case that the show the americans is based on oh oh wait what why didn't
1: wait i didn't know that that's
0: wild i had no idea one of Pete's cases.
1: Well, then hold oh. on, like back way, way the heck up. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> what they said.
0: <laughs> so I got how, all the dog how shirts have we been
1: excited. <laughs> <laughs> so we're howling <laughs> for Here, more information. Here's the two Some part question.
0: Know. The two part question. Uh, uh, have you seen the show? I know the answer to this, and if you have, is it accurate? That's the first question. And the second is, would it be fun to do a podcast with the creators of the show?
3: So the first answer is no, so I can't answer whether or not it's accurate. The second why question... Why, because you
2: haven't seen the show? Is that why? I have
3: not seen it. Oh. I don't okay. have a desire to see it because I worry that I'm, I'm incapable of separating artistic and dramatic merit from the realism when it's something that i've done if it's something that i know about but wasn't something i was intimately involved with i could probably suspend my disbelief and just enjoy i and and this isn't to say i mean i i understand and people i respect their um, taste and judgment say it's excellent you know it is dramatically great it is compelling it is engrossing and i believe that but i just i don't think from my perspective of my involvement that I would be able to enjoy it without sitting there and going, ah, uh, no, yeah, and so I, I, I haven't.
2: I have the same thing about the, the not the Americans but the positivists. Um, <laughs> I
3: was going to say, is it Night Court or is it more? What was the <laughs> show with <was laughs> Civil Shepherd and uh, and and what's Moon, his name? Moonlighting. 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 No, right. Moonlighting the same. Is, the same thing. Right. Yeah. No. It's exactly. It's exactly, the, it's, it's exactly the
2: same thing. Yeah. No. I. 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 I would just say that the Americans. Was maybe my favorite show ever and incredibly, incredibly moving. And I think about it all the time. Um, But I, for the same reason, I can't watch The Chair, which is this new um, show, um, precisely because, like, the joke, of course, is that to be The Chair is the worst job you could ever have. Um, And for uh, the show, I know, presents it as being like this great achievement when, like, that's like... The worst thing you could be is the chair, um, but also I have that sense of like, like I know I know what the, the, what what academia is like, and I feel like I wouldn't enjoy it.
1: For what it's worth, I have the exact same thing with anything related to social media. So like, I oh. can't watch like. Silicon Valley. Everyone's like, "You would think it's so funny." I'm like, "No, I wouldn't." Like, (laughs) like, no, I, no, I would not. Like, or like the Social Network. I'm like, I cannot. I can't. With like, I don't know. It's funny.
0: I love great journalism shows, and I
1: do like those too.
0: There aren't that many of them, but Hmm. when journalism is portrayed well, uh, uh, I think it's. I really enjoy watching it. But then again, I've never had one that involves me. What
3: um, strikes you as <laughs> done well? Yeah. <laughs> what well, what would you I say mean, is done well? I,
0: I for I mean start with all the presidents. I was man, just going to say the is, highest
1: level is all the presidents.
0: Yeah. Um but the 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 movie spotlight. about uh, spotlight is terrific. Um uh there, the post though it has some t- uh the, the the paper though it has some uh uh Stuff that is terrible about people that three I, days of
1: the condor isn't that about that no was...
0: that's about that's about an intel uh, oh no, and that's that's, an that's, intel that's, thing, that's about right. the cia an operating yes. domestically Sorry, I was, with like, max von sydow um, mm. uh, as an assassin it's it's a great fun movie but it's not in any sense real about anything um, is it called the post or the the um, the movie about the pentagon papers which has um, uh, some wonderful a cat some with with Tom Hanks. Uh, has, no, 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 it's
1: not. No, I'm sorry, no, no. I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm sorry,
0: um, it's it's quite good. It's quite accurate in some respects. It's got incredible for those of us who remember the old Washington Post building and the presses. Uh, the, the sets are perfect, literally perfect. Uh, the portrayal of Meg Greenfield is fantastical and has nothing to do with reality, um, but it's got some great. But the portrayal of Kay Graham is wonderful. Um, and what's the
1: movie that what's the show that Aaron Sorkin did with Jeff uh, Jeff? Not Jeff Bridges. Um, uh, it was Jeff like, Goldblum? no, no, it was like the really over the top. Broadcast it,
2: news was it a broadcast news? Was it broadcast it, news?
1: Yeah, was
3: it William Hurt? Newsroom. No, that yeah, yeah, William news Hurt. Newsroom. Right.
2: Yeah, so, uh,
1: that was Rich- like nothing like reality. Complete garbage. Like I thought it was so bad, but I mean, it was also just like not. I don't think meant to be.
0: Richard Wattenberger asks about shattered glass. All of whose the particip- all of the subjects of whom, except Stephen Glass, are friends of mine. Uh, particularly Chuck Lane and Hannah Rosen, and um, this is an incredibly accurate movie uh, in every detail, uh, particularly uh, the portrayal of of the New Republic staff, particularly of Chuck, um, and Chloe Sevigny's uh, uh, hybridization of Hannah and Jonathan Chait, she kind of plays an amalgam of the two, is is really, really well done. That is an, I mean, that is an excellent movie. Um, and, uh, and yes, I think Stephen Glass should be allowed to join the bar in California, uh, which is a long conversation that we should have someday, but uh, yes, he should be allowed to join the bar in California.
3: Um, and then, so to part two of your question, Ben, I don't a podcast with the creators, I, I don't know. It, it might be, I mean, anybody who takes the time to do the research and produce something like that, I'm sure would be interesting just from the standpoint of how you bridge a something based in reality and make it a compelling drama, because that's not easy to do necessarily. I mean, there is a skill to that, um, so maybe. Do you know them? I don't know them. I don't.
0: Um, I I thought yeah. it would be super interesting to have um, to have the, I mean, we could get Anna Chapman, too, you know, so we could have an actual American. We could have <laughs> Pete Strugan. Uh, 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 yeah, do get <laughs> Anna Chapman. Get some, yeah.
2: I've heard a lot of interviews with them. They're very intelligent, the the showrunners of, of, of the show. Yeah. Um, Uh, it's really terrific. But if you haven't seen the show, I think it would be like they would say something and you'd be like, I haven't seen it. So I I feel like it wouldn't have that bounce to it. Um, But um, has anything been written about the case that's accurate? You know, about the kid, illegals case that you were involved in, like a magazine article book or Something
4: yeah different.
3: so there's there's a there's there's a British author who is published and I'm trying to remember his name and I apologize to him for not remembering it who's done some good work both in terms of writing for uh, newspaper articles particularly dealing with their kids the the Boston couple had two kids who were born in Canada um, and kind of writing about their experience and the not only the work of what they did but the psychological impact of being born to parents who were illegals. And not knowing at some point what they were, and you know wow. how that then impacts you as you come of age, and you come to realize either by design or by you know accident when the FBI arrests your parents about what's going on. Um, he's done some great work, and I'll I mean I'll look it up now. But and then of course my New York Times bestselling book talks a little bit about the case. But I think there isn't there be Preet a Preet has talked
0: about it too. Mm-hmm. Who, who has Preet Preet has oh, talked Preet, about it, it too
3: because was he US attorney during the
4: time that it was taken down
3: because those were all kind of centralized in SDNY. Yep.
0: I'm
3: trying to remember if he was the US attorney.
0: Yes, he was.
3: Okay, in 2000 2010, right? Um, sorry, I'm looking up trying to find the author's name. But no, but it's a great. I mean, it is the the to, you know, the totality of the story and when you look at the span and scope of what went on, I think it's a great. It has the great markings of a the potential for a historical novel of not only telling the the historical story but you know something that is compelling and that would draw readers in so you know kind of the 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 literary version of the americans i think is yet to be written by some great incisive author and it hasn't been done yet that i'm aware of but i think it would make a great storyline
0: david botts the floor is yours except that we can't see you but just oh there you are there I am. Uh, good afternoon, hi everybody.
4: Uh, thanks so much, for bringing me on. Um, welcome back, uh, hey, Mr. Thank you. Great, great to have you. Um, I have, I have two related questions. Question one: If Congress demands certain records from telecom companies, are they off the hook if they, if the Minority House Leader threatens them, <laughs> the telecom providers? question two totally random question is threatening a party subject to a legal subpoena illegal Say the second question again is threatening a party subject to a legal subpoena and and basically threatening them to, to not not satisfy the subpoena is is that an illegal act
3: I don't. So, so what gets very complicated, and I'm not an attorney, and we have very bright attorneys here on the panel. What gets very complicated quickly is the um, free speech and debate aspect, if it's a congressman doing that. And I don't know the answer to that. I know, you know, it's funny because Andy Biggs, I think, was protesting that, you know, this idea that telecom companies might turn over, I think what he was talking about, the content potentially of. Uh, text that he was sharing in private moments with other members of Congress or outside of Congress that he Felt might be invective, but nonetheless just written in the spur of the moment and not indicative of anything uh, beyond just emotion was uh, somewhat uh, <laughs> wry to me to see him arguing that that should not that those should be ignored if they were somehow inflammatory Um, I don't know when it comes to congressional subpoenas, there are enforcement mechanisms for that. It is an enforcement mechanism that initially comes out, my understanding, and again, I'll defer to, you know, Kate and uh, um, Scott and and Ben, that there is both um, within the congressional authorities and ability to enforce those subpoenas and if they're ignored they can appeal or somehow call on the um, Article 1 authorities to help enforce those subpoenas and I don't know the process but I think what we've seen certainly with the last um, couple of sessions of Congress is a sort of degradation of the power or the authority of congressional subpoenas and people much more willing to fight uh, to comply or not comply as the case may be. Um, but I'll, I'll stop there cause I'm getting way out over my skis in terms of my knowledge and expertise. And now, Scott, Kate, Ben, if you've got any thoughts on that.
1: That's more Ben's wheelhouse than certainly mine. Definitely the answer mine.
0: is, the answer is if it's done with specific intent to frustrate a lawfully constituted congressional investigation, I assume it could be an obstruction, uh, uh, what is it? It's eighteen o. it's 1812, uh, 18, 18 U.S.C., uh, let me, 1512, um, uh, sorry, my, uh, so, yeah, the, it's, it's 18, the relevant, um, uh, statute is 18 U.S.C., 1512, 1503 may have um, uh, uh, it's 15, 1512 B1 is the, is the relevant language. Whoever knowingly uses intimidation, threatens, or corruptly persuades another person or attempts to do so or engages in misleading conduct toward another person with intent to influence, delay, or prevent the testimony of any person in an official proceeding or cause or induce any person to evade legal process, summoning that person to appear as a witness or to produce a record, document, or other object. Um, So, you know, whether it could meet the terms of that statute, I don't know. Um, uh, The statute is quite broad, um, and I don't know to what extent it does uh, or, uh, you know, um, the likelihood of its being applied in a situation like this is vanishingly small, frankly. Doctor Doom, your faceless uh, uh, microphone is on. Um,
4: thanks. Um, when, when, if Afghanistan's uh, government and army collapsed, um, Ben's immediate reaction was that it was a moral. It was a shonda it was a moral shame the security a security disaster and since then uh biden has offered um uh at least a view of what he says was his decision making process you've had a lot of experience with decision making under uncertainty i wonder what you what your analysis of biden's biden's decision making and how reasonable or not is it I-
3: I don't think the way that we exited exited Afghanistan was um, appropriate. I think this was a foreseeable chain of events that occurred. I don't know the cause of it. I mean, there was an interesting article about the way that people create teams of advisors, and I forget who wrote it, but talking about the, you know, the sense of, Biden's team is very collaborative. They're very like-minded and their strengths or weaknesses when you create a team that people are very similar in outlook and supportive of each other versus people who tend to be more rivals and you get disparate viewpoints and they you know sometimes there are obviously strengths or weaknesses to both in terms of bureaucratic behavior. I don't think that his advisors served him well in the context of our exit from Afghanistan. I don't, there's nothing that I've seen that would lead me to believe that this was not predictable. And so, to the extent um, that it was predictable, to the extent that there was information out there that would indicate that something like this would occur, the rapid collapse was, um, you know, a potential uh, that. Event that were to occur, I, I think it is a little bit more than a little bit. I think it is um, disappointing that there weren't better plans in place to have a more orderly departure that accounted for all the people who wanted to get out. So, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I, I think it is a valid criticism of the administration to say that the way we exited was um, poor and should have been better. Uh, I don't, you know, to the extent that people sit there and say, well, whatever, you know, the prior administration would have done would have been a thousand times worse. While true, I don't think that, you know, obviates the, the, the validity of saying this was not a good exit. So, you know, I would hope that there's something that goes on within the national security staff, within the. You know the kind of senior levels of the advisory process to the president to sit there and say why did this happen? I'm sure that's going on, and whether or not that that then translates to a, you know, kind of retooling of the the advisory process, I don't know, but I hope it would.
0: All right. Before we go to uh, Richard Wattenberger, we have a question from Paula, which I'm going to read. Paula is uh, not present today, and I'm also instructing you, Pete, to check your text messages because uh, I have sent you a query. Um, Paula asks, Pete, is there, there is a lying game on the show that has been played a few times. Uh, do you think that being a, 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 an FBI uh, official would make you a good liar or better at catching liars? Great question. Super great. question To, to prioritize
3: yeah. one, which which one is better? Which one which one comes? So it's a it's a comparison question, right? Does does being an agent make you a better detector of liar or? Well, a let's better talk liar?
0: about both. So the the show, I don't know if you've seen any of these episodes, but we. we I've get... been.
3: I wanted to. I wanted to do the. Um, I don't know. If, I think it's a Jimmy Fallon version, right? Where they have two envelopes and they've got two people, and one is the truth and one is a lie, and they sit there and they read it. And then the other group gets a chance to like ask questions. I to just then want decide, you to come okay, on and tell
0: a counterterrorism, a counterintelligence story. Nobody will know except you and me because <laughs> I actually will know that it's false. Because if it were true, it'd be classified. Um, uh, oh, I,
3: Ben, I could, I could, <laughs> I could, I could anonymize something enough to uh, um, to, 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 to to fool. So I think, yeah, so I, no, think I, I, general, I, I think in general, I think in general, I think given the nature of the FBI's work, I think given the nature of the FBI's work in general, it gives you a better skill set to detect deception than it does to deceive. That's not to say that there isn't undercover work, that there isn't pretext-type scenarios and work where you lie. um, And that that is a skill. Both are skills. Um, You can sit there and, you know, you... So, in other words, you'd
0: you'd be well-positioned to have an instinct about whether Genevieve were lying, but you would not be in a particularly good position to deceive Genevieve if you were lying?
3: I think I would be in a better position than the average person to do both just by the nature of interacting. One, there there, there are two aspects of that. One is doing work where you're interacting with people all the time, where you're asking them questions, where you're interviewing them, where you're talking to them, where you're seeing how Normal people respond what the things are that they do and just getting a from one sense is just a gut of how truthful people Versus deceptive people act and some of it is the very formal study of Behavioral aspects of what people do when they're telling the truth versus lying and there are tells and it isn't universal But there are things that you know psychologists who study this and and kind of Create like in general in their courses and there's professional education where you can sit there and and we do we the FBI and others send people to train on what those indicia of deception are. And so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, there is work that the FBI does, and it's not nearly as much as like a CIA officer would do, where you're going out and you're essentially presenting yourself as something other than what you are, or scenario other than what it is. And those things come together, right? So if I'm studying and I know that if somebody's being deceptive or avoiding something, if they tend to cover their mouth, or if they repeat the question, or if they look in a different direction than they do than if they're telling the truth and staring at you. I know that if I'm looking for that and somebody's deceiving me that I'm looking for those things, that if I'm lying to you, I'm not going to cover my mouth or look away, that I'm consciously going to just try and be very open, hold my my body language is open. So those those things come together in a way that is both, I mean, you know, I don't want to ascribe any sort of moral qualification to it, whether it's good or bad, but there is a, there is a, both a science and an art to it. Behavior but, is but what not, it is. I mean,
0: but not to put too fine a point on it. Let's say you were, and this is about Paula's question, not about anything else. Let's say you were talking to, you know, a senior government official, and
3: uh, <laughs> and and he showed new n- in a new workplace, <laughs> and he showed
0: no indicia of lying at all even though you knew that the information he was giving you was incorrect. And actually you knew that he knew that the information he was giving you was correct because just hypothetically speaking for a moment, um, uh, he would be aware that there would be uh, a transcript that was available to you of a phone call he'd had with a Russian diplomat. Just hypothetically speaking, and this is (laughs) all about Paula's question, not about anything else. The fact that there's no indicia of lying and that you may write that in a memo like, hey, no indicia of deception here doesn't mean you believe he wasn't lying. It might mean, in fact, that you believe he was just really good at it.
3: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, and the, Does the anyone have question. any
1: idea what you're talking about? I, I lost your laugh. I am sure that Tom McGuckin <laughs> like, like, in Laird the audience know knows exactly this, so what this I'm is, talking about. No, 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 about. but this but is, yeah, like, no, this but is this, like one this, of those. So, fun for all of us. <laughs> so, so, no,
3: but this is when, I mean, this is what makes this sort of work this fascinating. This is all about Paul's and, question, No, but like, and when you think about like, again, what what. The, the, the study of people in human nature and human interaction, when somebody does not tell you the truth, th- th- there are a number of different reasons that might happen, right? One is they might be conscious and deliberately aware of the fact that they're not telling you the truth and that they are trying to lie and conceal that. And maybe they're good at it, or maybe they're horrible at it. And that tells you a bunch of things about their sense of their upbringing, their sense of morality about lying or not, their sense of ability to feel guilt, their sense of shame or not. And that's just in that one little category. There's a huge path in the middle of why somebody might lie and not not tell the truth, but not really be aware of why they're doing that? Or even, you know, even know that they're doing that? Is it because they're ashamed of it? Is it because they've convinced themselves otherwise that they're in some sort of state of denial? And you can sit there, and I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not, I haven't studied psychology beyond professional development type courses. But that sort of human interaction, you know, every day you interact with people who aren't telling you the complete truth. And that's just the the outgrowth of our societal interaction that is accepted social interaction and so when you sit there and you see somebody in a very high stakes scenario in a very consequential interview who is telling you something or not telling you something that is going to have a direct and immediate impact on their employment their criminal exposure you know there are a thousand reasons why you sit there and say okay this doesn't make sense why did they do it You know, and then setting aside any like the extreme things, you know, are they drunk? Are they under the influence of drugs? Are they mentally unwell? Do they have some sort of condition that's preventing them from understanding what the truth is, which is a whole separate, you know, kind of category that you can't exclude. But it is a fascinating thing that. People know when you're talking to them, if I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm projecting to you, I'm talking directly, I'm being very open with my hands, I'm looking straight at you, I'm speaking with conviction, I'm speaking in a way that are short and direct and full of facts and not ambiguous, our natural instinct over millennia developed in interacting with other people, when you hear that, you say, I believe that person. Mm-hmm. And politicians, whether or not they you know, know it or not, that is something that they do. Good ones do very well. It is something that people. When you can, you can both have that instinctually. You can also know that and develop it. And so, you know, when you're sitting across from somebody and they're telling you something that you know isn't true, all those questions come up. And the confounding thing is, in certain scenarios, the fact of the telling of an untruth when it makes no sense in the context is particularly. Um, Confounding, And in some cases, in a hypothetical scenario you presented, is still confounding to this day. And I don't, the more I see, um, you can look at people after the fact and see what they say and do, and that informs your opinion of what might've been going on internally um, about their statements, in terms of their understanding of the truth and reality.
1: I have a quick, 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 quick question. So one of the things that I keep thinking about through this explanation is the importance of a rapport and understanding the person that you're dealing with. Because if those things are so variable and individual specific, the quote that kept going through my head, which is cheesy, is the Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, well, it was the truth from a certain point of view. So if you have someone who's self-deluded or has created a narrative that they are embracing totally, and it's still factually inaccurate, do you still get the same tells, or is that where really a lot of background work is so important?
3: No, you can, if somebody, conv- if you convince yourself that something is the truth, you're going to manifest that behaviorally as the truth. And so if I, whatever the actual, the actual course of events were, if I have set in my mind that something different occurred, when you're talking to me, if you pressure me, if you put, you know, things in front of me, I'm going to respond in terms of whatever my mental recollection of that event was and so you're going to get yeah yeah that's like lucy right at the little uh yeah no so it's so, so and it becomes very hard because then it's like okay so somebody is you know again they're, they're manifesting is telling the truth is that because they it is the truth they believe it's the truth they're, they're just a really 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 good liar and okay. there are a lot of really good liars
1: you're not a doctor but i am because i i don't have a hat yet that i can set for my iphone but i have post-it notes sitting on my desk <laughs> in a sharpie <laughs> and, love it um but i was going to actually say there was this amazing book on lie detector tests um that was basically uh that there was a i think it, it was maybe it was a radio lab or i don't remember what it was exactly but it was basically all about a guy who had developed a foolproof way of getting through lie detector tests basically because you could control certain aspects of the readings by clenching certain muscles at certain times and so it would like artificially elevate your blood pressure like just a little bit so that it would have like a different reading so that you could just like like just no matter what you were kind of doing you could do that but the other thing that is really true is what you just said and what kind of Genevieve says which is that if you truly believe that what you're doing or what you're saying is the truth that you will not have any of the tells of anything. So one of the best ways they say to like to lie is to basically create a fiction and recite the story over and over and over to yourself and kind of walk yourself all the way through it and imagine it or like you know, like an alibi or to like basically take a story that you already know and to use it as like a way of of kind of so this is why i could never do the sh- the lie show because i just i don't know i don't really want to do any of those things and like <laughs> i'm not sure I could. yeah no
3: i mean like the 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 a polygraph is not there's a i don't want the polygraph is a tool it's not a end-all be-all of whether or not somebody's telling the truth or not Telling the truth. It is sitting there and it's measuring how much you're sweating, it's sitting there measuring your respiration rate, it's sitting there measuring your heart rate. Most people who are not sociopaths, most people who are raised with a sense of moral right and wrong, if they lie, if they're confronted with a lie, are going to have some sort of physiological response. They are going to imperceptibly sweat more, or have their heart rate change, or have their respiration change. And in the hands of a skilled polygrapher, That is an extraordinary tool, that if I'm sitting and I'm talking to you, I'm interviewing you, and I see a slight change that is different, I use that as a cue, another little bit of information that I can use as I'm interviewing you. It isn't the sort of thing where you're sitting in a polygraph, it's like, oh, that's a lie, oh, that's true. That's not the case. So, you know, I don't want to get into a a discussion of how to, you know, beat the poly, um, but there are, it is... It is designed with the idea that most people are raised in a sort of standardized normative experience of right and wrong and responses to shame and guilt. And if you get either people who don't have that, you know. Culturally, the really interesting thing when you look at polygraphs, when you look at polygraphers, and you know we're saying, hey, we want to go, and it happens especially with other members of the intelligence community, we want to go polygraph an asset who is an American who came from this culture or that culture overseas. If you have a different experience of what guilt is or what sort of the response to lying is, it's an entirely different skill set. Because so, you would just, get, you know,
1: just have just as big a physiological response to like maybe but, but, like but, something that's but not, not but,
3: but But in the Western Judeo-Christian experience, if you lie, that, you that, it, that, that is accompanied yeah. by a certain response, which isn't necessarily shared by different cultures. And so when you sit there and you say, hey, did you do something? And the person says, no, I didn't depending on the different culture you're going to get a different set of responses and so you get it is it, it's it's very much a it's huh. it's a really interesting you me one question more bullet for my
1: why lie detectors are bullshit uh They're <laughs> like not, powerpoint lie detectors,
3: you know, lie detectors are lie detector- a powerful investigative tool but they are not a truth-telling device
1: yeah. their
0: their most powerful element is that people confess all kinds of things out of fear of them
3: mm. um, uh, fear and people want to confess People want to confess. You want to clear your conscience. At least, again, in a Judeo-Christian Western aspect of that, you want, I mean, that's why, you know, Catholics go to confession. You want why people go and you want to unload your wrongdoing. You want to talk about it. You want to assuage your guilt. You want to share that. You want to unload that burden. And so if you get over that hump somehow suspend that disbelief or I can sit there and tell you, trust me, unload on me, you're not gonna go get the death penalty. That catharsis of sharing is part of that interview process and the confession that gets that 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 is that good interviewers uh, will will accomplish or try to? Accomplish. Richard
0: Wattenbarger you are n- you, you are not going to get the death penalty. So unload on <laughs> us. Okay. And uh, and, on, what uh the is floor it? is yours so I ha-
1: was going to say something really quickly. Oh, oh no, sorry. No,
0: no, go no, ahead. No, go,
2: no, 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 Go ahead. Go ahead, Richard. Thank you. Oh,
0: uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, well, this question is a lie. Um, so, um he, when you went to the FBI, when you, when you got there, you're young, green. And you uh, and you know everything's new to you. What did you, what did you encounter that like kind of that um, surprised you Is it, like I would never associate this with the FBI or was everything pretty much as you expected there, was there anything that blew you away like uh, <laughs> hmm.
4: Hmm.
3: That's a great question. I don't know because I came out of the army. Which was like a hyper hierarchical, regimented experience. The FBI is very much the same thing, and certainly in the agent side, it is, And I think the similarity comes in the context of if you are dealing with scenarios where you are, you know, leading people or telling people to engage in things that are life or death scenarios you know whether that's going into battle whether that's you know needing to use lethal force or not with a subject you have to have a very you you have to have a different sort of hierarchical experience where if somebody is telling you to do something you do it because lethal force is involved so there's a similarity and feeling to the experience of the military so I don't know that anything necessarily surprised me um it 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 was uh it it, it was a very interesting application of the context of what you're doing because it's entirely bounded within the law so title 18 is you know you were investigating crime and you're investigating crime to develop evidence and using that evidence to bring a case or not in the context of our system of justice and so that is a very it binds your actions it, it creates the four corners of what you're doing um, in a way that is very uh, both both limiting but also very precise and then adding on to that saying okay well you're not you know you Pete, you're going to go work counterintelligence so that's not looking and sitting there saying did somebody you know engage in stock fraud or do a bank robbery or Medicare fraud or whatever the case may be but you're going to go look at what all these foreign powers are doing. Uh, from an intelligence collection perspective of the United States, which isn't bound by the criminal code, but it is a the the, the entirety of the experience being kind of existing within the context of the pursuit and in investigation of justice was a very interesting way to shift
0: perspective. We are going to leave it there. Pete Struck. you're a great American, but Thank not you, a great. One of the Americans. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, I've been saving that all day. That was um, really good. That was, yeah. I, was, I was proud of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, we will. Uh, I still want you to come back at a time and place of your choosing to Wait, tell... when did
1: you take off your tie? When did that happen?
0: In the Early middle on. of the show. It when I
1: realized
3: there was no award, when I realized there was no speech, I'm like, well, damn it. I, so when you are know. you going to
0: come back and tell a counterintelligence story that may or may not be true?
3: We'll have to. We'll figure it out. I want to come on. I want you to pick a second guest, and we will each exchange. I want two envelopes, the truth envelope and the lie envelope, and we'll pick one or two for each other. And I we'll, we'll quiz it. We'll <laughs> quiz, quiz shy it.
0: So, What's in the envelopes?
3: one is a true story one is a lie story and then whoever it is says i want envelope one and i open it up and i tell the story
0: and it no i just tell the story in the envelope, i tell the
3: story and you don't know if it's a lie or truth do you know of course i know
0: how do you know because you're just telling the story that's in the envelope
3: because i've written because i'm writing the envelope about my stories
0: Oh, one of which is oh, a so one person. of which is
3: a true one of which is a true story about Pete. One of which is a fake story about Pete.
1: Shylock said sit there, earlier to do it with John Cipher. Woo! Oh, John's such a liar CIA. though. <laughs> Versus FBI. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah,
0: who you you should do it with? Uh, 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 would you want to do it with with? A CIA person or an FBI? I don't, another
3: no, I'll FBI do it with person? a CIA person. I'll do it with a random academic. I'll do it with somebody who, you know, is a media personality, somebody Stump went to jail, whatever you like. Me...
1: That can be the entire world. No, week.
3: It's, 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 uh, <laughs> no my, my batting average would be like embarrassingly horrible. So.
0: Wow, we're going to have to do this. Struck by yeah, the truth. Absolutely. But ah. before, before that, We have tomorrow's guest, uh, Lisa Page, and Friday's guest, Ada Palmer, finishing up the 500th episode. All that will start 22 hours and 56 minutes from now. And until then, KK?
1: We don't have fun anymore, but we can have very cheap psychiatric help. (laughs) (laughs)
0: just just
1: DM me just DM me
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll see